Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Hi, Lauren here, and welcome to The Afterlight. My guest today is Leah Bowden. She is a high-frequency intuitive communications counselor, an animal communicator, a spiritual mentor, an artist, and writer. Her learning path has been dominated by teachings and guidance from archangels, ascended masters, and off-planet guides since childhood. She mirrors and encourages the authentic divine in each person she encounters to facilitate self-forgiveness and kindle hope. She knows that when we let our intuition guide us, we act true to our authentic being and we proceed along the path we were born to experience, to be who we came here to be. Leah has been receiving transmissions from the divine and other multidimensional expressions of radiance since the 80s and publishes them in her blog in the lap of Elohim at lightspeak.com. Leah is joining me today for the second time because we got along so well that we were like, we need to hang out again. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is animals. And we're going to be talking about her life as an animal communicator. And we're also going to be talking about animals as spirit guides. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lauren. I so enjoyed talking with you the last time we did this. I'm thrilled. I was thinking today that when I do animal communication sessions, when I connect with animals, I, I always know that I'm in the presence of the divine. And there are some animals who speak naturally to that. Um, I once opened up to a horse and the horse began his conversation with me by saying, I welcome you in the name of all divine beings. How may I be of service? That blew me away. It just blew me away. And there are many other similar things that I've heard from animals that They've been my teachers. They've been my spiritual teachers in such a big way. I'm going to ask you today, I mean, so many questions. There are things that I'm dying to know, such as, do you believe that we, you know, choose our animals before they come here? Are animals as deep as that horse example? Um, What happens when a human gets in the way of an animal trying to fulfill or live its purpose? I will say to our listener at home that, you know, you and I did have a really wonderful conversation previously. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, Normally, as you know, Leah, I like to ask people how their spiritual journey began. But for you, we already have gone through that sort of in our last episode. So let's flip the script a little bit and talk a little bit about where your maybe your connection as an animal communicator began. Have you always been able to do that? Did you kind of, you know, walk along the forest and hear the songs of the birds and understand what they meant? Or how did it sort of kick off? It kicked off with the empty nest syndrome. When my only child, my beloved son, Seth, went off to college in 1992, 
I sat on his bed and cried. And I knew that other friends of mine had done the same thing. And I remember saying to myself, he's not dead. He's just in the name of the town his college was in was Delhi, New York. And I all of a sudden I realized I needed horses. Now I've always loved horses. I had I've always had dogs, never had a horse, but I've always loved them. I happened to know a fellow who owned a, a bunch of polo ponies not too far from where I lived. So I called him up. I told him that I'd love to be able to come and be around his horses. And he said, great, you can come and feed at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So I started doing that. And as I fed them, I hugged them. And when I hugged them, I was in heaven. They were so wonderful. All right. So then one of the one of his colleagues, a polo, a polo aficionado as well, was a woman who had another stable. I went to start grooming horses at her stable. And one day in the tack room, I saw a cassette set, a set of cassette tapes. And the name of the tapes was How to Communicate with Animals. And I am kicking myself and have been kicking myself ever since then because I did not write down the name of the author. I've tried every which way to try to figure it out who it was, have no idea. But I listened to the cassettes and because I had already been a long time meditator and had already honed my intuitive ability to connect with spirit and to feel my way into the greater reality that we don't see and feel in three dimensions, I was able to incorporate the lessons very easily. I went through the lessons. There were three or four steps, and I'd be glad to tell them to you at some point yes. here now. And um, the next day, I went into the, this stable, and I brought, there were, there were two mares that I was grooming. One was Springer, and one was Allie. They were, like, connected at the hip. They were best friends. They were both pregnant. Allie, I think it was her ninth pregnancy. Springer was in her first pregnancy. So I tied up Springer in the ties. I started grooming her as I always did. I said, oh, Springer, your baby is getting so big. She's gonna be so wonderful. And I heard in my head, just like this, I don't want this baby. And it sounded exactly like that. It was a human voice that I heard. Mm. I had never experienced anything like that. And I knew immediately that this was real. This wasn't just my imagination. This wasn't something I could bypass. And, and I had to go in immediately as if a, a woman had said that to me. Can you imagine how distressing that would be? Yeah. Um, I said, oh my gosh, why? with real interest. And she said, Allie said, it's not good. Allie was the other horse. And so I, as I would with a human being, I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I continued brushing her. And maybe Allie's experience was different than yours will be. And maybe yours will be fine. Brush, 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 finished, brought her back, brought Allie into the ties, brushing her. And I said, Allie, Springer tells me that you told her that having babies isn't good. Why is that? And she said, with great bitterness in her voice, she said, because they leave you. 
These were brood mares. They were owned by a person who breeded them, bred them, and sold the foals. That was the business. And I, what do you say to that? I just, I said, I'm, I'm so terribly sorry. Mm. And I continued, and I don't know what else I said to her, but I did tell her, her person, I told the owner what had happened. And to her credit, the owner was devastated. I don't know what she did from then on. I don't know if she changed her business model or what, but that was my first, it, that was my first animal communication. Wow. It was profoundly, it was profoundly moving. It told me in no uncertain terms that you, when you open yourself up to an animal to communicate, you need to be as accountable as you would be with a person that you had, that you had said, hi, I'm here to help you because that's what we do when we're communicating with animals. We are there to help them or sometimes to seek guidance from them. But in any event, it is an honorable communication. It's a sacred trust. So that was my first one. That was my first one. Wow. It sounds to me like you started on a high and a low, obviously, definitely a bittersweet experience. Uh, and I can mm -hmm. only imagine that that would have, you know, giving you some inspiration to continue down that journey. So I'm wondering... Just for a listener at home as well, Leah, maybe we could talk a little bit about the actual connection and how you're hearing this information. So you do mention in your book that you have a telepathic connection. So I guess if you can tell me a bit about that, you mentioned earlier, maybe it's in your head. So is it kind of like your imagination, but it sounds to you like your own voice? Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, thought a lot about the word imagination as I have done this work since the 90s. And this is what I believe. I believe that the word imagination refers to a realm in which things happen that are not happening in three dimensions. We can't touch them. We can't perhaps see them with our physical eyes or hear what's going on with our physical ears but we are frequently impacted by what we imagine. When we dream, sometimes we wake up laughing or in tears or furious, the emotion is still with us. If there is an emotion present, it is because something has struck us and impacted us, and I call that real. So when I'm talking with an animal, sometimes it happens that the voice that I'm hearing, that the words that I'm feeling coming into my head, sometimes I hear them, although not with my physical ears. Sometimes, therefore, I would say it is an auditory experience. Sometimes I'm just seeing what they're doing, or I'm, I'm hearing a melody, but it's definitely in my head. Additionally, I often feel something in my whole body. If the animal is um, feeling a certain way, perhaps, perhaps I'm experiencing that the animal has a problem with her, her stomach. I might feel a little acidity in my own stomach, or I might feel a grittiness somewhere in my body. Um, when an animal just just half an hour ago, I was doing an animal communication, and an and the owner of the animal had asked. How does she feel when I play my 
um, my sound bowls, you know, the crystal bowls. And the animal went into a trance just as soon as I read her those words. And I could feel in my own body that sense of rising and expanding into my crown chakra. So it is a body, bodily experience, but mostly it's in my head. I hear voices and they have definite characteristics. They don't necessarily sound like my voice. Sometimes they sound deep and gravelly. Sometimes they sound high and breathy. And so it is the animal's voice that I'm, that I'm hearing. And I also know that because we are, we act as filters when we have an experience with another animal. In fact, when we have an experience with another person, our own filter comes into play as well. Um, my filter, again, in this reading that I just did, um, the animal used an expression that an animal wouldn't find relevant, but that I did. And I'm sorry, I can't think of it right now. Um, such an expression like, oh, with bells on. You know, when you're really delighted, oh, I'll be there with bells on. Well, that's because it's coming through my filter. Right. And so sometimes the words are my words. And when I'm communicating my session to the person who is has hired me to do this, I'll say, you know, I realize this is coming through the filter of my own awareness. So some of the language is what I would use versus what someone else would use. They can't get away from that. Okay, I love that a lot. I guess I'm just going to kind of summarize that and dumb it down a little bit. Um, forgive that expression. So it's basically that Please do. You know, you've been working on, you know, developing your intuition and your trust with yourself for a long time and your connection with your spirit guides. When you get information from your spirit guides, it's almost in a sense that they're giving you impressions and then you're articulating those impressions or those ideas through words that you know through metaphors that you're familiar with through life experiences that you've had and that can be shown to you maybe through images but also through words so what you're saying is that if i hired you to communicate with my animal and i hired someone else to communicate with my animal and you both were communicating with george on the same subject it's very likely that I'll get similar information, but it may be articulated to me in a different way based on the filter um, that it's coming through, like the person that it's coming through. Is that basically right? Exactly. You would get the same information, but the language and the style of communication would probably be different Yeah. Okay. Because of, because it's coming through the two of us. But, okay. and sometimes, so let me say that when you get talking about the imagination, sometimes when I'm listening to an animal speak, um, I hear an animal say something that I almost can't believe. And I think, oh no, this couldn't possibly be true. But I know that to honor the process, I need to pass on exactly what I'm getting. And I do. And the person who writes back to me, as I do this all via email, says, Oh my God, I couldn't believe that you even got what he, the song that I sang to him when he was sick. You oh. know, the exact song that I sang, you were singing because that's what he was hearing. So I say, okay, it's real. When I'm helping people learn how to use their intuition, one of the first lessons is say yes to everything. Don't throw out that first thought. That's 
probably what it really is. We are so used to second guessing ourselves. It doesn't serve when you're transmitting information that comes from the, uh, the, the sources that we can't feel or touch, whether they're spirit guides or animals. I love that you said that actually, and it's really relevant because yesterday I was even talking with a friend and um, we were talking a bit about making decisions based on feeling and how it's sometimes really difficult to make a decision based on feeling when the other part of you feels the need to justify it. And then you end up coming up with reasons that almost don't make sense or aren't weighty enough, right? But when the yes. feeling isn't right, sometimes you just have to go, well, I just, it just doesn't feel like the right fit. But then in society, don't we, we try to talk ourselves around or, or justify it or explain it a little bit further. We do. And you know what? Animals don't. So this opens up a topic that I really had wanted to address, which is that um, animals are incapable of lying. Part, part of our part of our magnificence as human beings, our complexity, is that we have this ego, which is there to save face mm. and often to save our lives. The ego says, don't you worry about a thing. I'm going to guard this gate. And if I think you're going to say anything that you're going to regret, I'm going to tell you, don't say it. I'm going to help you reframe what you see coming at you so that you feel better. I am going to throw up roadblocks so that you can't go there. So we find ourselves uh, saying things we don't really mean. We lie, we reframe things. And we think we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we don't, but we feel we have to. Animals don't. If an animal is annoyed, you're gonna know it. The animal is gonna poop on bed. Or I mean, I was dealing with a horse once who was kicking out his, you know, the boards of his stall. Um, the animals don't have that particular consciousness aspect that we do. And so an animal is always truthful. And that's a great blessing because you know who you're dealing with. There's no prevarication. That's so good. I love that in your book, you mentioned that animals have souls and that they love and remember and they have dreams and they have disappointments. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? It seems to me that animals really are the human equivalent, you know, in terms of you know, maybe hierarchy or something, which we can talk about the hierarchy chain in a minute as well. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the first horses that I dealt with was um, a mare who, who said, will I ever see the stars again? Will I travel among the stars? Will I see my beloved? Will I dance in the sunshine? She was very oh. unhappy very sad. And she was expressing herself poetically. She was expressing great yearning. Um, there are some dogs who I talk to who are sad because they're not allowed to do what they feel is their soul's mission statement, their soul's mission. What should they be doing? Um, a Yorkie who I, who I was talking to years ago saw herself as a great protectress. She saw herself as needing to be out patrolling the territory and making sure that everything was where it had to be. And she was she lived in a kennel. 
in a beautiful kennel in a beautiful house, but she was not feeling satisfied. And one of the things that we did in, in our session was um, she sort of took herself on a shamanic healing journey. And in the session, I saw her putting her foot down into a, a kind of earthly puddle or a pool that received her and she sank way down into the earth and the earth healed her and the earth gave her this renewed sense of herself and she rose up from the earth and her fur was rich and flowing and the wind was in her hair and she was shining and her heart was bursting with joy and so uh, and that and that healed her. Now, I didn't heal her, but what I did was I opened up, I listened to her, I encouraged her to think about how what she wanted. and and in the moment, i I worked with her to find a way that she could experience the self that she longed to feel. And it's very common to find animals who, because we have domesticated them and we need them to poop in that box or just stay in that yard or in the case of cats, not go outside at all. Sometimes they are very unhappy. Um, so the longing is there. The yearning is there. I, I uh, did a reading for a horse named Goldie. She was a beautiful Palomino. She was going to be trained and, uh, as, a, as a draft horse. And when I asked her what she wanted to do, she showed me, sometimes they don't speak, but rather they'll show pictures. She showed me a picture of herself with a braid in her, her mane was braided with ribbons and she was pulling a beautifully painted cart with children in it. And there were ribbons on the cart. She wanted to play with children. And so I told her owner that, and I don't know if they ever managed to do that for her, but that was her dream. Um, there was another horse who wanted to be ridden by uh, a woman who was blonde. Now maybe she had been ridden by a woman who was blonde and she loved her. Um, dogs, again, will often talk to me about wanting to protect. Um, cats are frequently wanting to be left alone. <laughs> That is to that there shouldn't be any other cats. They because they're so territorial. And there's well, I could go on and on, but I love it. I, I think it's so fascinating. It's it's this whole, you know, and I've mentioned it before on the show, but when you're a spiritual person, it's as though you have access to the most magical world that you kind of want everyone to be able to, to get involved and yes. you have to kind of be careful because you don't want to be preachy, but it's amazing. Right. Right. That is so true with the animals, the, the animals that I've spoken to have taught me so much. There was a sheep that I talked to years ago. His name was junior. And I opened up to him and I said, hello, Junior. And he said, well, that's not really my name. I said, oh, what's your oh. name? My name is Heffernan, Heffernan. And so we talked and um, I felt like I just wanted to pull up a chair and sit at his feet because he was a profound philosopher. 
and um, and and other animals have spoken profoundly of the quality and beauty of life, particularly animals who are near dying or who have died. So I do a lot of communication with with animals who have who have left their bodies, and I really feel that I'm talking to the divine spirit, or that I'm listening to the divine spirit. The language is eloquent. The images are marvelous. Can I can I read you a little bit of something oh, sure. that I? Okay. So here is here is what something that a dog said. I would, and he speaks of telling her, meaning his owner. I would like to tell her about the process of flowing from the body to the ether. When I died, as you say, though of course there is no death, when my consciousness was released from the body she held so lovingly, I felt like heavy smoke flowing upward from a dying fire. There was no pain and no sadness, also no expectation. I hovered for a short while in which I smelled a sweetness of the no physical realm into which I had moved. It smelled like flower nectar. Then the smoke I felt myself to be got lighter in feel and color, and I felt like white wisp. Then I floated upwards and dissipated into a landscape with a green meadow and trees, with lots of lovely sounds of natural life, bird songs, water running in a stream, cattle munching, deer's ears flicking this way and that. I was aware of everything and could hear and see in minute detail anything I focused on. And that reminded me of the moment when my mom died in 2010 at six o'clock in the morning. Later that afternoon, I went with a very dear friend to a museum. And my mother did not believe that there was life after death. That is, she believed that when the body died, that was it. She wouldn't let me talk to her at all about my perceptions. Well, I'm standing in the lobby of this museum and all of a sudden I felt a, a bright, a brightness around me. And I saw my mother going, wow, wow, wow. She was turning around and around. Oh my God. All right, mom. Then I was looking at a painting. It was a painting by Jamie Wyeth. And in the foreground, there was a rock. I looked at the rock and all of a sudden my vision changed. I could not only see the painting of the rock, I could see the fibers of the paper underneath the paint. I could see the rock itself and I could see into the rock. I could see the molecular structure. I could smell the rock. I could feel the grittiness of the rock and all of its layers. And I realized that I was, my mother was looking through my eyes. Oh my. And what I saw, was I was looking with eternal sight. I call it eternal sight. And then the same thing happened when I moved to another painting, there was a painting of a crow in the foreground. Again, I saw the painting, but then with this vision that I've never had again, I could see the specific graininess of the skin where the feathers came out of. I could smell the skin. I could feel its grittiness, its smoothness. I could feel the oiliness of the feathers. 
So when this animal said to me, I was aware of everything and could hear and see in minute detail, anything I focused on, I thought, oh, this is, again, I'll call it eternal vision. Vision that is beyond what we can see. And I've never had it before. And I, and I wonder, oh my goodness. So I now sometimes when I'm talking with animals, I am aware of how they're seeing. An elephant, for example, sees past, present, and future all at once. That amazed me while I was talking to an elephant, that when she looked out at the world, she was seeing the shifting becoming of what she was looking at. She didn't just see a thing. She saw how it developed and how it was continuing to develop. So are you talking about animals that are currently uh, like on planet right now or after they've transitioned? What I read to you was a dog who had died. Yeah. But what I just talked to you about the, about the elephant's elephant. vision, she was alive. The elephant, <sighs> she was alive. So the elephants and the elephant's consciousness is quite, quite, quite remarkable. How do you experience something as incredible? And by the way, you're such a, a beautiful speaker, Leah. I could like really, I was with you the whole time, um, you know, in, in the sense of you really painted that picture and I know you're an artist, so it makes sense that you could do that. But how do you experience something like that? And then after it's over, you know, come back to reality. Uh, it's hard. Fortunately, I... I do have friends that I can talk to about this. Um, and by the way, if there's anyone listening who would love to be able to know more about this and love to talk to people about this, but you don't have anyone in your life, find them. You may, you may have to go to a group, perhaps uh, like a, a Unitarian Universalist uh, meeting, or you look up and, and find where there's maybe an intuitive fair or a holistic psychic fair. If you have an inclination to look farther than 3D for your sense of reality and measuring what's possible, don't hold back because there's such richness to be found. Mm. Although when you do start doing this, I have found for myself and for many others, you find that you're not really be able to talk to those other friends anymore. You know, they may be rolling their eyes or they may simply be not as satisfying as they used to be, but that's the way growth happens. You know, we flow. That's right. And we change as people and, you know, we're not the same people. I mean, I know for myself, I'm not the same person I was a few years ago compared to where I am now, right. you know, with this kind of right. the learning that I'm, that I'm doing and the expansion, I suppose you could say, you know, one of the big parts we were talking about today was the, the spirit guide and element and the, the animals acting as spirit guides. I guess my question to you is, you know, what's your definition of a spirit guide and is this spirit guide all knowing and all wise? And, you know, is it definitely of the, of divine nature? This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. My view on this has changed tremendously since I started my path, my spiritual path in my teens, which is good because this means that I've learned something. Yes. Um, this is how I define self, S-E-L-F. We have small self and we have large self. 
they are the same. What I've learned, and this might sound heretical, and I hope I can say this carefully and properly, there is one life in the universe. There is one soul. That soul is divine creator. Within that soul, there are an infinite number of extrusions and individuated life forms. Any one of those individuations can be in touch with any other one of those individuations, as well as being in touch with and connected to source. And I source for me is the same as saying God, which is the same as saying divine creator. So when I look out, as I am doing right now at a very magnificent hillside, I know that I'm looking not only with my physical eyes, but I am acting as an agent for what caused me to be. And I'm sending back to source my vision of that hill. Source looks through my eyes and says, wow, that's a beautiful hill. I'm glad I created that. And I say, damn right, I'm glad you created it too. <laughs> and the hill itself sings and it says, me too, me too. Okay, I'm being a little far-fetched here, but not much. It's really the way I think of things. And so when, when I think of spirit guides, this is what I think. We are like an onion or a seed. We have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. Normally we think of the self as the little thing inside everything else, this one little contained thing in our body. But we are also expanding and expansive to the nth degree unto source. And so spirit guide, my, a spirit guide in my view is one of the expansions of your own little self that simply has uh, expanded beyond physical limitations that perhaps has had more experience in non-physical reality. Um, there's a book by Jane Roberts called The, Over, uh, the Education of Oversoul Seven, in which she explored, well, she's pa passed on many times, but in this, this book is written like a novel in which she explores the idea of an oversoul. And this is very much what I'm talking about when I talk about a divine uh, spirit guide. So there are spirit guides at various levels, depending on what our consciousness needs. And I would say that the ultimate spirit guide is source. You know, if the Bible is true, if God spoke to Moses, for example, that I would say Moses at that moment, Moses' spirit guide was God. And however we see that being. Um, and so, and, and a spirit guide can certainly sit somewhere. Let's say a spirit, a, a spirit guide is a person, a being who is having a life. And one of the things that the spirit guide does in its life is to uh, look in on see how we're doing and maybe look in and see how other people are doing as well. That's my view on spirit guides. So could you say that, you know, if we had to use a metaphor, could we say that maybe spirit or God is like a tree 
and then the tree has, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of roots. And then all of these roots are aspects of spirit, such as me and such as you. So we're all connected to the one, but we're all experiencing life through our own filter. Yeah. I, I think I would go rather than with roots, just be, because of the way my mind works more to leaves and fruits and seeds. I like, okay. um, you know, the roots, what are the roots? That's an interesting question. You know, there is the tree of life, the, the metaphor yes. of, of God as the tree of life. And in fact, in, in Kabbalistic thinking, we have the tree of life as, com as composed of 10 spheres of influence, each sphere called a, a spherot or a sphera. It maintains a different kind of consciousness. There's mercy, there's uh, majesty, there's roots, but that's a whole other discussion that I am not qualified to have. <laughs> oh, but fascinating nonetheless. So I guess, yeah. you know, you're making me think about my conversation I had a while ago with Rob Schwartz, and I'll put a link for our listener at home to that about pre-birth planning. And I remember I read his book and, you know, there was an element that was basically talking about how, when we die, our personality dies. And I remember feeling so upset about that because my ego self, I suppose, always thought that I would live on you know, that, that I just transition into another form without kind of recognizing that maybe the personality and everything that I've collected falls away. And I guess my question to you is, you know, do you believe that when we do pass away, that we get absorbed back into the greater whole? And then I guess my question to you is also, well, what about when we can connect with angels and, and spirit guides and, or with angels and maybe passed over loved ones and maybe animals that have even passed over, are they part of the whole or are they also, are they a fragment of, are they a leaf or a seed or a fruit, for example? And I don't even know if I'm articulating myself well. I so this is what I've learned from, specifically from the animal communication. Like when someone says, is this cat my old cat? Will my, will, will I miss my cat so much? Will she come back to me? And I ask the cat who's already dead. And the cat says, basically, part of me will always love, let's call her Lillian. But part of my, what happens is I have to evolve. And in that evolution, I get reabsorbed into the whole. And yet there is always a thread that remembers. There is always a thread. And I've seen this also when I do soul journey energy portraits and people who have died. There's always a thread that is connected to the life of whoever you were when you loved Lillian. And so um, the, the animals tell me I can't come back as exactly who I was, but there is perhaps a similar a similar thread that will be relevant. So I think, right. yes, we do get absorbed back. Now I, I have conversations with my father who died in 1978. I can only believe that what I am experiencing is the consciousness of my father that is still able to connect with me. And when we do ancestor healing, 
that's very specific. When you stand in front of a group of ancestors and you say, hello, how can I help you? And you see people popping up and they'll give you names. And that's very powerful. But the animals have, ta have taught me that you, you, the personality disappears and is reabsorbed, just as you said. Do you think that it's also important to note that we don't necessarily have to figure it all out because our brains almost can't? I mean, I feel like my brain's trying to explode right now, understanding all of this. And, you know, even when yeah. you were explaining, looking out over this beautiful you know, landscape, these beautiful hills in front of you and how, you know, the divine was seen through you. I mean, part of me wants to ask the question of, well, what's the point of it all? <laughs> Why are we here? Why aren't we experiencing, you know, eternal vision? Like, why do we have to play this smaller role? I know that is a wonderful question. Well, my, my feeling about why we're here is to experience to experience expansion and joy to just experience what life is and we send back those messages i think that all of existence is is a, an experiment and that creator creator energy is constantly sending out more possibility, 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 and watching. And then what comes back says, this works, this doesn't. I don't know. I, you know, I really, I majored in elementary education, but I really should have majored in theology because I have fun with that. Not too late. Um, no, it, well, uh, I have so many other things I want to do. Yeah. And I, but let's get back to animal communication for a minute because I want to yeah. share what I learned this simple process about how to communicate with your animal. Okay. Let's Can we do there. that? Yeah, let's go there. It's quick. Imagine, let's say you're sitting with your animal, no matter who or what it is, you're, the animal's right by you. You picture the word hello in your head and you picture it specifically. What font is it? Is it Garamond? Is it Calibri? Is it Ariel? See it. What color is it? Picture that word in your head. Then you picture the word in, on your forehead very graphically, and you see it on your nose. And then you see it on your chin. And then you see it on your shoulder. And then on your elbow. And on your wrist, you see it there, really see it. And then on your hand, and then you put your hand on the animal and you see that word, hello, jump to the animal. Now, this is the trick. As soon as you've done that, you have to be aware of whatever it is that you hear, feel, see, remember, imagine, because that's the response from your animal. It could be that all of a sudden you feel an itch somewhere, or you think of a song, or you hear a sigh, or whatever it is, that's the animal's response. If it's an itch, if it's a bodily feeling, it might be how the animal is feeling. And then you can say, oh gosh, you have an itch? Can I scratch you somewhere? Or whatever it is, and you just go on from there. Um, 
when I first, when I got home after listening to this book on tape, I said to my cat, hello. And the cat said, I want wet food. <laughs> and there was also a horse at this place when I said hello to him. This horse was 35. And he used oh. to walk along the fence with me. And he was demented. And he rambled on and on and on. And it was boring. Because he was a old man. Oh, that's so funny. You know what, actually, that, that made me think of, because I had this question I wanted to ask you. You know, you started off the hour, our conversation, by talking about these amazing conversations, deep conversations you were having with horses. And yeah, I guess my... <laughs> My experience is that I can talk to my puppy, George, and I haven't been trained. And so I'm just going based on what I feel I'm getting. And I don't really feel that he has so much to say. And maybe it's just because he's one, or maybe it's because I haven't learned to listen to him properly. But I guess my question is, are animals all so deep as maybe a horse is or a dolphin or do some animals just want wet food and they don't feel the need to talk to you about why we're here on earth <laughs> um my cat that wanted wet food was not interested in sharing deep thoughts with me um i think that all animals are capable of it i just think that they all have personalities and some of them don't want to be bothered some of them are eager to share uh there are some sessions that last 15 minutes because the animal really doesn't have much to say. Some last an hour and a half. So yeah. uh, it really depends on the animal. Do you believe that animals choose their owners as much as we choose our animals? And I guess my question is um, in relation to when I was looking for George, you know, I was looking at all these animals and, and then I saw a photo of him and I went, oh, that's him. I just knew with no doubt in my mind that that, that was that was him, but did I choose him or did he also choose me? What do you think? You know, I don't really have an opinion about that. Sometimes <laughs> when uh, in, a, in a communication session with an animal, I will hear the animal say, I came to Lillian to be her guide and to wake her up and to make sure she doesn't watch too much television. I, they, that doesn't mean that from the moment I was born, I knew I was going to be going with Lillian. I don't right. know. I, I, I don't think I have an opinion about that, but I'll tell you that as, but the animals all feel that they are with a certain person for a certain reason. Right. So I, I don't, but I don't know. Do you believe that all animals, um, at least in your experience, do have a soul mission or a purpose for being here? And, you know, if, if they aren't necessarily choosing their owner in your experience, do you think that they're choosing situations in which they can fulfill these purposes or much like the Yorkie you talked about earlier, they have a purpose and sometimes their environment isn't necessarily conducive to them living that? I think that all beings are born with a sole purpose, which is to say it's part of evolution that we're, no matter what species we are, we're born at, with a certain proclivity to do something. And it uh, and, and we try to do that no matter where we are. And I do I just do think that it's part of the DNA. It's part of how we're created to, to have that we have a purpose. Do you believe that we pass 
over when our purpose is accomplished? Or do you think we can get another purpose after that? I think that we have one purpose and that when we're done, we die. I, I think I came to that belief many, many years ago and that it may have been part of a transmission. That is, that's what I call the downloads when I all of a sudden feel words pouring into my head from the divine, from my guides, um, that we're here, that all life incarnates in order for the soul to refine itself until it is at the point where there is no more refinement to be done, which would be very rare, which leads to the question, is someone like the Christ, like someone who inhabits that office, like Jesus, was he created to do the one thing that he, and that what, and that he didn't need to incarnate anymore? I don't know. I have some friends who would say, oh, this is my last life. I've cleared all my, all my dharma, all my, what is it called? Karma. And I, I always want to say, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, but I do. I think that even animals incarnate in order to develop their souls. And that the ultimate development of soul is when there's no difference between that soul and the one soul. That it all can be absorbed. That's what I think. What a, What's your idea on sort of the fact that humans are very often seen as the top of the food chain that, you know, in terms of hierarchy, that the highest level you can possibly get to and that, you know, animals maybe aren't equal to. Well, that's the story, isn't it? Yeah. That's the story that allows humans to do whatever we want to yeah. deplete the planet's resources, to be cruel to each other, to be greedy. That's the, that is the patriarchal story. I don't know what the world would be like if matriarchy had continued and patriarchy had never come into the picture. Um, I've read, done some reading about matriarchal societies and I, from, what I, the, from the little that I have read, they seem to be uh, successful in terms of having people have enough to eat, which is kind of like a very basic way to measure. Yeah. Does everyone have enough to eat? Um, if, and I think that the story about people being at the top of the hierarchy, it was developed to give us permission to be greedy, to do whatever we want. Yeah. I don't think that it is a natural order at all. I think that there is no species that is higher than another. We simply each have a, have a series of abilities that we use to develop our, our, our souls. We give ourselves tests. How do we do? Does the soul approve? Does the soul not approve? And I think that when we die, we enter into a period of evaluation. The ancient Egyptians certainly have wrote reams about what this is. And what I love about the ancient Egyptian model is that the, the Egyptians have the feather of truth, ma'at. And that when you die, your soul is measured against the feather of truth. And if, you're, if the platform on which these two things are sitting, if your soul sinks is heavier than the feather of truth, you have to come back in some configuration that you will learn the lesson that you didn't learn this time. 
that makes sense to me. Oh. And I think that's what happens. If not the actual feather, you know, but I think it's a really good metaphor for what happens. Mm. Now, animals, since animals always do the best they can, my belief about animals is that they never have to be measured because they have no ability to lie or to misrepresent themselves. So I think that animals just continue to develop and develop and develop, always ascending. And maybe, maybe the up and down metaphor isn't even right. Maybe we have to stop up and down, left and right. David yeah. Spangler speaks about incarnational spirituality, which says we experience the divine in our bodies, in all ways, in, in matter itself, that there is no up is not def necessarily good, down is not necessarily bad. I actually love that because I do think that, you know, as humans, we do tend to label things. We do tend to put things through a positive or negative sort of filter, good for me, bad for me. And um, mm -hmm. it seems to me that, you know, in that example, there's a lot of the word acceptance comes to mind. Right. That's right. And judgment. I can, I, can re, I can practically remember the day when I realized I was being judgmental and thought, well, what does that serve? And yeah. I stopped being judgmental about this particular thing. And I, and I realized that for me, that's a, um, that's a subterfuge that I do for myself. All of a sudden I'll find that I'm judging something or a pattern. Um, and like I was walking with my son at outside in the countryside and we came across uh, some people wearing masks. Now, my belief was that if you're outside in the fresh air and there aren't a lot of people around that probably it's safe and you don't have to worry about getting COVID. And it, so it puzzled me. And I said to him, I wonder why they're wearing masks. He said, mom, don't judge. I said, I don't think I'm judging. I think I'm really curious. curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm also right. curious about that. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm wondering, you know, and we're already at our hour. I could talk, literally talk to you forever. I, uh, I, I guess I'm. <laughs> it's just so easy. What's a way that we can be better for our pets and, you know, maybe even by being better for our pets, we can be better for ourselves. So I'm not sure whether or not people tend to judge their pets. Maybe they do, but that could be potentially a good start. Sure. Um, my ex-husband, uh, who is not here to defend himself, but he would agree. He once said to me, oh, I would never have a cat that wasn't pretty. Well, yeah, well, we go to the shelter and, and we, or we look online to get a pet. We want a pet that looks a certain way. And so that's a kind of a judgment. But let's say, okay, we have our animals. I would say the way we can be better for our animals is for one thing, when we get an animal, spend time with it. Don't go to work. Spend, if you can, spend a week with your new animal. And... Um, be there with them in the field, in the house. Let them crawl on you. Let, of course, there are, you have to have boundaries. There are some species, of course, that they all need to know what are the boundaries. Can I get on the bed? Can I not get on the bed? 
but be with the animal, feel the animal, feel the way the animal feels on your body, or when you put your arm around the horse, or where, you know, feel the animal. That if I have a friend who has a horse and she's always posting pictures of her taking walks with the horse, not riding the horse, just taking walks with the horse. That's a beautiful thing to walk with a horse, to, to walk among the cows. Let the animal seep into you and, and eventually you'll get a feeling of what the animal wants and who the animal is. And there are the obvious things. You don't leave an animal tied up outside. You don't leave an animal outside in the, in the, in the cold. Everyone needs food and shelter and it needs good food. Some people have animals uh, and they, they can't afford to feed them gourmet animal food. Okay, but do your homework, find out what, what does that animal really need? Mm -hmm. And also to take, to take an animal to, to the vet to be examined as soon as you get him or her. And just be kind. You know, when I leave the house, I tell whoever I'm with, in this case, my grand dog, I say, I'll be back in an hour. You know, you talk to the animals like they're people. Yeah. That's what I would say. I love that so much. Well, we are at the end of our time together. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share any stories that you felt like you really wanted the listener at home to hear? I know that we could talk forever, so I'm sure this will not be our last conversation on the podcast. At least I hope not. Right. I, there really isn't anything else. I mean, there are various inspiring things that I could share amazing things that I could share, but I think that we've pretty much covered uh, an amount. This was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for opening up and being so wide ranging. You know what, Leah, I do, um, I do see a question here that I did ask, or I did want to ask you, and, and maybe if you have a minute, I'll ask it now. I, I guess I, just sure. in relation to animal fears, because I was thinking about, you know, animals have a purpose and their mission. And then I was thinking about, well, you know, what about fears that people have of animals? So dogs is a common fear. I personally am working, I'm improving my uh, fear of birds, you know, and I guess my question to you is, you know, how can we maybe develop or build or overcome in some cases, fears of animals? You'd mentioned talking to your dog before you leave the house. Would that be a way to get started? Probably, but I really think this is the purview of someone who studies human behavior and human needs. And, and I haven't. I mean, my opinion will just be a lay opinion. It has nothing to do with study at all. Uh, I know people who are afraid of dogs and, and I, I, can, I can understand if you've been bitten by a dog or if you were, I always think it, there's a past life connection. And so I would say, if you're afraid of an animal, find someone who can lead you in an intuitive journey to the, um, the experience that is sitting somewhere in your consciousness that you may not remember and see what you can do with that. I would go, yeah, I would go to alternative therapies such as hypnotherapy or shamanic journeying to, under, to, to uncover hidden fears like that because they are hidden in our consciousness. We've hidden them for a reason. That was so horrible. I never want to do that again. And remember it. See, I think that all life is happening all at the same time. 
So that past, present and future, it's all now. And the book by Jane Roberts talks about how that can happen. The education of Oversoul 7. So right now, I mean, I, I think I was alive in several places in the 1600s, but the way I really think of it is I am alive several places in the 1600s. I am going to see a Shakespearean play tonight at the Globe Theater with William Shakespeare in the cast. I think that is the way it happens. And so there is a reverberation happening in the, in the layers of my consciousness coming from the various levels on which we live. Fascinating. Do you find it hard to be a human and be here on earth knowing and feeling all this stuff or do you find it's part of the magic? No, I'm so lucky. Now, part of me says, you know da damn well, it's not luck. You know, it's not luck. You know, this is a matter of the evolution of your soul. Mm -hmm. But I'll say I'm lucky. I had loving parents who were good to each other and good to us. I always had enough to eat. We weren't rich, but we weren't poor. Um, and um, I have been allowed to pursue my dreams. If I didn't, it was because I was afraid to, <laughs> because I thought, oh, I can't do that. Um, so no, I find being human immensely satisfying because I get to do this talk to you about animal communication and consciousness. I get to share what I love with the world. So, and, and I'm happy. I'm a very happy person. And I don't read the news. I don't watch television. I don't watch tele the television news or listen to it on the radio ever. I seldom read the newspaper. I, t what I have a Facebook, you know, I'm on Facebook and I have, I have cultivated my friends very carefully. No one posts things on my page that hurt me, that are nasty, but they do post articles that I know I should read on from the Washington Post and the New York Times and the London Times and papers in the English language that are known for having a broad, intelligent view. That's how I get my news. Mm. And I know that part of my deep joy and my ambient happiness is because I'm not sitting there watching the news at night going, oh, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, and I, as it is, it's upsetting enough. Yeah. 100%. You know, when, when Trump, when Trump was elected, I, like many other people, I found myself waking up with a stomach ache and I thought, okay, what can I do? What can I do? I have some consciousness. I have some ability to send healing energy places. I can do shamanic stuff. I asked, I prayed, and I got the following message. That soul is so damaged and so powerful. You could not get close enough to do anything to help without getting sucked in and completely mashed. I've never heard that about anything else that I've ever asked wow. about. Wow. So I never gave any energy to that person. I didn't say his name. I didn't watch that person on TV. And never, I just, I knew that for my sanity, I had to not give any energy at all to that person. So I didn't. And think of all the people who were watching him day after day and night after night. Obsessively. Gnashing their teeth. Obsessively. Yeah. 
I think that watching the news is very bad. I agree with that a hundred percent. I don't watch the news. And I know sometimes people say to me, you need to know what's going on in the world. And I say, I don't actually need to know because yeah, it's not no, that's my right. business. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I know enough to know where I should send money. Yeah. Or where I should, yeah. where I should send my prayers. I send money as I can. And I pray. And what else can I do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep, hundred percent. It's such a joy talking to you. I just you love too, my to you. friend. You too, you too. Um, wow. What's next for you? I know that you've got. You know, I, I mentioned the book. I know you don't have a book available for our listeners at home at the moment, but you do have a blog, and you do you are taking on animal communication clients, from what I understand. Absolutely, I have many animal animal communication clients, and I welcome more. Uh, both for my edification and the animal's well-being, and uh, and also their their people's well-being. I while I'm waiting for my agent to um, put my project on the top of his list, I have I'm putting together two more books. One is a book of poetry that I've written over the years, poetry and meditations. Another is a book that I'm calling. Amida in the pandemic. I am Jewish. I attend services every Friday night at a congregation that I just love. It's a quite mystical congregation. There are lots of people like me there. And there is a portion of the Jewish Friday night service called the Amida. It's the silent meditation portion. And every Friday night, when we have these like three minutes of silence, except for maybe someone plays some beautiful music, I find ever since the pandemic started, I find words pouring into my head and I have written them down and I've collected them. And I, so since March, what it was it, March 13th, March 20th, 2020. And now I have a collection of beautiful, inspiring um, pieces that are just lovely. So that's what I'm doing. I'm putting that together and um, I'm keeping busy. Well, thank you so much for your beautiful conversation. And um, I'm going to figure out a reason for you to come back again. So let's just continue to connect my friend. We will. And I will keep in touch with you when I, if I think of a reason to connect, yes. I will do the same. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.